Great to see you all. My name's Philip. I haven't met you before. I uh, lead the church here, one of the pastors, one of the elders. It's great to see you. It's funny, actually, Paul uh, mentioning the Kingston Community School just now reminded me of uh, when I popped in to do an assembly recently. So it's funny, like I get to go and do the occasional assembly. We've only got a reception year so far. Um, I'll have another reception year so next year and so on. I used to be a teacher, but not with ones that small. So it's a bit out of my comfort zone. But luckily, Louise Richmond, who leads our kids' work here, kind of prepped me with a little sort of lesson plan. So I was just doing my little thing at the beginning. I said to them, so I'm, my name's Philip, and there are only four, by the way, four or five. My, my name's Philip, and, and I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. Do you know what that is? And, and they were like, what? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. Anybody know what that is? And one of them went, went um, we have pasta and pesto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not quite. Um, but it is a great place to be. It's a great place to spend some time. I endorse all that Paul says, and it's lovely to be involved with them. Um, Speaking of children, one of my, I guess, favourite childhood memories uh, was when I was nine years old and building a sandcastle on the beach. Is that a good memory for any of you? Building sandcastles on the beach when you were a child. I was nine years old. I remember it well because this particular sandcastle was, was uh, a bit of a passion of mine. All week I've been building sandcastles and this was the last day of the holidays and I was convinced this was going to be the best uh, sandcastle there could be. I was quite a competitive child. You may already have gathered that. And uh, I'd realised that sandcastles only last, not, don't last very long because they get washed away by the tide. I'd understood this, age nine. And so I said to my dad, 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 how can we make sure the sandcastle doesn't get washed away? How can we make sure it doesn't get washed away? Well, the best you could probably do is to build it right up against the cliff face, at least. So it's got the best chance of not getting washed away by the tide. So sure enough, it's been all afternoon. I'm sure some of you parents have done this. It's been all afternoon with your children, building these sandcastles. My dad faithfully did this to me. Pretty impressive sandcastle. We had a range of buckets with different types of, you know, different types of shapes. This sandcastle had turrets. It had a moat. I think it had a drawbridge. I don't know how, but I think it had a drawbridge. Pretty impressive sandcastle. It's been all afternoon building it. And of course, you get that moment at the end of the afternoon, we got to go home. If you're a parent trying to take four children home from the beach, it takes a lot of time, as some of you will, will know. But eventually, we packed the stuff up, made our way up, and you go up the kind of side of the cliff face, looking down, I could see my sandcastle still there. It was still there, despite the tide coming in as we were, as we were leaving. And in my heart, in my little nine-year-old brain, that sandcastle is still there in North Devon by the cliff face as a shining beacon of my architectural genius. I, also, I think though something was happening in my nine-year-old soul, if you like, my nine-year-old heart, which was I wanted to leave behind something of worth. I wanted to create something that would last. There was something in me, even as a nine-year-old, I think in many of us, that wants to leave something behind of worth, something that will last, a legacy, if you like, something that we can leave behind of worth that will last. I was interested to see that Facebook last year introduced a legacy contact. Did you see that? Then she's a legacy contact last year. And basically, you can appoint an online executor. which doesn't sound quite as grim as it, as it does sound. And uh, the idea of this person is that after you, should you pass away, this person, your online executor, is allowed to maintain and even update your Facebook profile. I was like, what's, what's behind that? Why have Facebook done that? What are they tapping into? And I think they're tapping into the desire for us to leave behind something about us, to leave behind something that will last, something that's of worth, something they'll be remembered by. And so Facebook now let you do that. I know it's a little bit morbid, but it seems to have tapped into the desire that we have to leave behind a legacy. It's called a legacy contact. But is our legacy just about us? Is it about what we have built on the beach or what we leave behind? Is it how, about how we're remembered? I remember when my younger brother had his first little baby a number of years ago. 
and I think never really forget it really. It was a really wonderful moment when I saw him for the first time, this tiny little baby boy on his shoulder. And one of the first things he said, or one of the things he said through the evening was, he said, I've realized it's not about me anymore. <laughs> it's not about me anymore, he said. I've always remembered that because although he was kind of half joking, he'd realized life's not about me anymore. <laughs> life's just become about somebody else. And I'm sure you parents would have had that, that moment where you realize things are now primarily about somebody else. And so we're starting a three-part series this morning called Legacy, as you can see behind me. And we're going to look at the theme of parenting and specifically what it means to leave behind a lasting legacy through parenting. So we've got three Sundays. The next two Sundays, we're going to have some, I think, really great, practical, hands-on teaching. It's going to really, I think, serve you, whether you're a parent or maybe you might be a parent. We've got two pairs of guest speakers coming in uh, who both have the considerable advantage on me in that they actually are parents. So they're going to be able to give you, I think, some really helpful, practical advice. Um, but this morning, I guess I want to take a bit of a step back, first of all. Bit of a step back from the practical hands-on stuff and ask two questions that I think are relevant to all of us, really. What have we received from our parents? And if we believe that God is the ultimate parent, what have we received from him? So what have we received from parent figures? And secondly, what do we get to pass on? And I want to assure you this is relevant to all of us this morning, whether we're parents, whether our kids have grown up, whether we're not yet parents. This is going to help and serve all of us, I believe. So number one, what have we received from our parents? Or what kind of parenting have we known? Have we known ultimate parenting, perhaps? So look around me in the media. Who's the, who are the ultimate parents at the moment? Seems like David Beckham and Jamie Oliver get pretty good reviews as being kind of like ultimate dads, the ultimate family men. There's always a few examples, though, of less than brilliant parenting, aren't there? So if you remember our esteemed prime minister who had that classic moment that some parents may have had when he left his child behind in the pub. Do you remember that? Didn't go down particularly well in the media. Less than brilliant parenting, that was. I used to be a teacher and a sports coach. And again, if you've been in this experience, you'll know that sometimes parenting is not so brilliant on the touchline of sporting events. I remember witnessing some dads usually, and their parenting was less than perfect as they bellowed and shouted at their own children and got very excised the referee. It was usually me. There was less than ultimate or perfect parenting going on. Now, what about your parents? Are they the ultimate parents? Are they far from perfect parents? What did you receive from your parents, because we've all had parents at some time or another. And I asked myself this question this week, and the, the first three things that came into my head, what have I received from my parents? The first three things I thought of were discipline, protection, and encouragement. Discipline, protection, and encouragement, which I guess says something about the kind of parenting that I had. And some of us have had good parents. Some of us have had great parents. Some of us have had less than good parents. Some of us have had pretty poor parents, to put it mildly. But the thing is, whatever kind of parent we've had, whether it's the ultimate parent, the worst parent, or somewhere in between, we've all received things for good and for ill. We've all received things for good and for ill. The best parents have left behind things that are less than perfect in us, as well as good things in us. We've all received things that are both for good and for ill. But the claim of the Christian faith, or one of the central claims of the Christian faith, one of the things the Christian faith is built upon is the premise that God is the ultimate parent. I want to take a bit of a step back this morning and look at God as the ultimate parent. The Bible has good evidence for that. And so if you are a Christian this morning, I want to remind you of the nature of the ultimate parent you do have. 
regardless of what your own parents were like. If you're exploring the Christian faith and asking a few questions, I want to show you some of the evidence from the Bible that would point to God as being not only a good parent, but actually the ultimate and only perfect parent. So in answering this first question, what do we receive? I want to look at eight very or eight, eight things that I think are evidence as to God's claim to be the ultimate and perfect parent. I'm going to look at five really quickly and spend a bit more time on three because those are the three that I want to particularly focus on through our application towards the end. So some evidence for God's perfect parenting. Number one, here's a parent that disciplines tells us so in Hebrews 12, 6 and 7. You might want to write down these Bible verses because I can promise you it's really helpful to go back over this stuff. I found it so helpful to remind myself of the evidence that there is for God being not a angry guy in the sky or even a mediocre parent, but actually the perfect parent. And this piece of evidence comes from Hebrews. It says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? And discipline can be a Almost a dirty word sometimes for us because we may have seen it distorted. But because God is a perfect parent, he does discipline perfectly. It's evidence of his ultimate parenting. Number two, God the parent is ultimate and perfect because he rescues. He's a rescuing parent. says in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah speaking about God. It's quite rare to address God as father in the Old Testament. And Isaiah says, you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. I love that film, Taken. Have you seen Taken with Liam, Liam Neeson? I think there's about three of them now, but the first one's particularly good. And it basically is set around Liam Neeson as this dad who's on a mission to rescue his daughter. And he goes to every length conceivable, I guess, just as you were, you would if you were a dad, to rescue his daughter. And his entire focus, the whole film, is I'm going to get my daughter back. I'm going to bring her away from the clutches of, of evil that she's got herself into through no fault of her own and partly her own fault. And I'm going to rescue her from that and bring her back into my family. It's the nature of God as ultimate parent, perfect parent, is he rescues and redeems us from the brokenness of human sin. Number three. God is a God who provides, a parent who provides as part of why he's the perfect parent because he provides. Jesus uh, reminds us, as Paul was reminding us before, when he teaches us how to pray. Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, remember your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's a parent who provides. He even knows what we need before we ask him, such as his providing heart. He's the ultimate perfect parent. Good parents pretty much know what their children need before they ask. This parent always knows what every child needs before they ask. He provides. Number four, he's a forgiving parent. Another reason why he's a perfect, the perfect parent, the only perfect parent, he forgives. Jesus tells us again, another passage in one of the other gospels in Luke, a, a description of what this father is like. It's a famous story, the parable, illustration. The prodigal son tells us the story of how this, how this son despised his father, rejected him, didn't want to know, wanted to go off and do his own thing, and goes and shipwrecks his life. Then he comes back. He comes back wondering how his father will receive him. You may know the story. And Jesus said, he, this son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
Jesus is saying, that's what God the Father is like. He is one who no matter what you have done, has his arms open, waiting to forgive, waiting to welcome back. He's not, he's not, an, he's not vengeful in the sense that he's vindictive or holding grudges against us. He is an open-armed father who always welcomes us back. He welcomes us for the first time into relationship with him and through forgiveness. And that forgiveness is then permanently available all the time, every morning. What a parent that is, who's always got their arms open, ready to offer total, unconditional forgiveness. And fifthly, he's a perfect parent because he is an adopting parent. He adopts. That doesn't mean that to be a perfect parent, you must therefore adopt. I'm saying part of the nature of God's ultimate parenting is that he cannot have enough kids. He's always bringing in, he's always adopting more children. He loves to bring sons and daughters into his family, into his kingdom. We looked at this a little bit last term during the trial series. In the book of Romans, the New Testament tells us those famous words and Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, We've had a couple of opportunities as a church so far. Just a small group of us have gathered twice now. And the reason we've gathered is because we want to look at what it might mean for us as a church to engage in the actual physical act of adoption and fostering. So we've met twice now as a group. It's been a really lovely evening. Some of us are interested in uh, actually in the adoption process of potentially or fostering children. Others are thinking they might be interested in that process in the future. Others of us, uh, like me, are interested in supporting those that are engaged in that because it's a beautiful thing when the church provides kind of wraparound care. We've had two great evenings so far. If you're interested in possibly adopting, fostering, or supporting those that do, we're meeting once a term. And it's a really special thing when the church wants to engage in this literal demonstration of God's adopting heart, finding children and giving them a hope and a future and a purpose and a meaning and safety. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then three more aspects, three more pieces of evidence, if you like, as to God's perfect parenting. I'll take a bit more time on these three. So number six, he cares. He's a parent that cares. That might sound a bit of a bland description for the ultimate parent. He cares. You're like, oh, yeah, he cares. Sure, surely every parent cares. God cares. What do I mean by that? The other day, I mentioned this actually in the context of worship a few weeks ago. The other day I was in the supermarket. It was my day off just doing my, my food shopping. And I was just kind of daydreaming really, just in the checkout queue waiting for my, my turn. And as I was kind of daydreaming or thinking about sport, whichever, you want to, whichever one you want to, you want to describe. Uh, I just heard this little voice about 10 yards to my right saying, Abba, Abba. I was like, what? I mean, am I in the Middle East somewhere? I'm, I'm in service. I'm in Kingston. And there's a little, I guess he must have been four years old, three, four years old. And he kept saying, Abba, Abba, looking around. And he wasn't panicking, but he was, you could see the sense of worry starting to rise in him. Where's my Abba? Where is he? And sort of five, six times, Abba, Abba. And of course, sure enough, that wonderful moment came where his dad just emerged from the aisle in the supermarket. And it was so lovely to watch as his dad just kind of scooped up this little boy. He must have been three or four. Kind of gave him a kiss on the cheek and hugged him into his chest. And then what I loved even more was he didn't then just sort of plonk him down and and then go through the checkout. He plonked him down, but he held his hand and just kind of walked very slowly at his pace towards the checkout. I guess just reminding his little boy that he was his Abba. He loved him. He's with him. He hadn't forgotten about him. He cared so much for him. I thought it was just quite a profound moment of the care of Abba for his child. And in turn, it reminded me of how 
God the parent is described in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And Hosea is a prophet, so he is kind of speaking the words of God, as it were. God speaking through Hosea. And what God says through Hosea, I think, is just beautiful. He says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. And God is kind of personifying there the whole people of Israel into one little child called Israel or Ephraim in this particular passage, another word for Israel. And there's a personification happening there of the people of Israel into like one little child. And God's saying, the kind of parent I am is the one who even if my little boy runs away, which is what it says, the more they went away, I will find him, I will reclaim him, I'll teach him how to walk. You ever thought about God as a parent who holds the hand of a child and helps the little child take the baby steps they need to take to grow in whatever they're doing? I guess some of you parents would have had that experience yourself of holding the, holding the hands of your child and helping them to walk across the room for the first time and then going to maybe one hand and then with a bit of a sense of risk taking away both hands and maybe they fall flat on their face, maybe they keep going, but you show them how to walk. Or that moment of showing them children how to, how to ride their bike. Remember my dad showed me how to ride a bike and the stabilizers came off and then it's that classic moment where he holds the saddle as knee and you, you're kind of riding off and I, I guess he or you as parents thinking, I guess I can take my hand away and then it, you see what happens. It's what God is like. He holds us by the hand or he holds, us, he holds the saddle of the bike. He teaches us how to ride, how to walk. If you want to be a brand new Christian, you should know that when you become a follower of God, he will be like this. He will hold you by the hand and he will help you take your first steps of faith. I know some of you can uh, testify to that, what it is to have a God who is not angry and vengeful and cross and waiting for you to get it right. He's holding your hand. He'll teach you and show you how to take each step of faith. You may have taken a hundred thousand steps of faith on the journey of following God before. But we know that God is unchanging. So he still loves to hold us by the hand, help us to take fresh steps, new steps, faster steps. New Testament, I kind of guess, makes the most of that metaphor, talking about the Christian life being one of running a race. So whether we're walking, running, stumbling, jogging, sprinting, God is a parent who is with us by our side, holding us by the hand, teaching us how to take fresh steps of faith. He's a parent who cares and he's the ultimate parent. Seventhly, he gives time. He's the ultimate parent because he gives time, which again, you might think it's a bit of a bland word, time. Surely all parents give time to some degree. Well, again, that passage that Jesus speaks in Matthew, Paul referred to it in worship, and I've referred to it already when Jesus teaches us how to pray. You need to understand how radical it was for Jesus to do two things. One, claim that he knew God as father. And two, claim that through faith in him, we could know God as father. The God of Israel in the Old Testament was very, very rarely seen as father. I gave you one example in in Hosea and another one in Isaiah, but it's pretty rare. So for Jesus to claim that God is ultimately at his core a parent, and you can know him as parent through me, was incredibly radical. Partly why they killed him for those kinds of allegedly heretical claims. Jesus says, you pray like this, our father, as we did this morning, I didn't know Paul was going to do that. Our father who is in heaven, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. I just love the idea of us being children and being able to like, well, not even knock actually on the door, just open the door, close it behind us and know that kind of parental time of God. He says, yeah, I've got time for you. 
I remember that as a, as a child. My dad was a teacher, so he was often marking away in the evening in his, in his study. But I would kind of maybe knock, maybe not go in. And he would nearly always have time. What's happening? What's going on? How's your day? Why did you get sent off in the football match today? That's an off-regular off question. But he nearly always had time. But God's the perfect parent. He's the ultimate parent. He always has time. Never nearly always. He always has time. He's the kind of parent who will never ever turn you away when you open the door, close the door and spend special time with him. Jesus is inviting people into a childlike relationship with God. He's an approachable parent who loves to spend time. Never, he'll never say time's up. God never say time's up. Every parent eventually has to say, don't they? Time's up. You've got to go to bed. God will never say time's up. He's the perfect, ultimate parent. He's anything but an absent parent. I was moved really this week to read via the BBC who they were reporting on a piece of research done recently by the Centre of Social Justice. And the BBC reported that now, uh, as of the last couple of years, as of the last few years, about a million children are growing up without their father, without that key parent. And apparently every, every year, 20,000 children will be added to that number who grow up without their father, an absent father, or at least hardly any time with their father. And maybe you know what it was like, perhaps. Maybe you grew up with an absent parent or an absent father. Maybe you've, you're a parent and you know what it's like for the other parent to be absent. God is anything but an absent father or an absent parent. He never ever is lacking any time at all with us. He is the perfect, engaged, approachable parent who loves to spend time with his children. And finally, just to, I guess, complete, it's not really a complete list. I had 25 things and I've distilled them down to eight evidences for God's perfect parenting hearts. Final one is that God is an encouraging parent. He's an encouraging parent. Being encouraged is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Who doesn't like being encouraged? Somebody encouraged me this week and you just feel your spirit rising, your shoulders go back, your chin up. Being encouraged is a brilliant thing. God loves to encourage his children. Have you ever asked God to encourage you? Have you ever prayed for his encouraging parental fatherly heart to come and know you more? He's an encouraging dad. I'm, uh, you might be doing the same thing as part of my Bible reading plan. We're doing something called Bible in One Year which uh, in fact my fiance Carol and I were both doing, helps us just to engage each morning with God's scriptures and to be fed and nourished and, and changed by what he says through his word. And I'm in Luke at the moment, the gospel of Luke. And I've really been struck by how many times Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, Luke says things like, and Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to pray. Or Jesus took himself away from the crowds and effectively went to spend time with his father to be strengthened. I believe to be encouraged it's really struck me how Jesus needed and desired encouraging time alone with his dad, with his, uh, with his father. And I'm speculating here, but indulge me a bit, because I, I want to imagine what that dynamic was like as Jesus was speaking to his heavenly father and the father was speaking back to him. I reckon it's not too far removed from the truth to, to imagine that the father must have been saying things like, Jesus, you're doing so well. You're doing so well. I'm so pleased with you. I, I delight in you as you obey and honour me. I won't ever leave you or forsake you. I can imagine the father saying, keep going. You're doing well. What you're going to accomplish, my son, is going to change the world. And I've got a bit of evidence to think that God spoke like that because the father spoke like that. Because early on in Jesus' life, he got baptised. <laughs> 
He didn't just command us to do it as his followers. He modeled it himself. And when Jesus was being baptized, it's one of the rare occasions that God speaks audibly. And Matthew reports on it. And the father says these wonderful words. That's my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So I think we've got good evidence to see that the father is an encouraging father. He encouraged Jesus. You're doing well. I love you. I'm proud of you. What you're going to accomplish is going to change the world. It's going to make a difference. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So let me just sum up those various points. There's only eight as to why God is the only ultimate and perfect parent. Even the brilliant parents in this room, I'm looking at many who I admire and aspire to be like one day. Even any of you are not going to come close to the ultimate perfect parent. The one who, number one, disciplines us. Number two, who rescues us. Number three, I've lost my own notes, I go even faster. Number three, who provides for us. Thank you, Owen. Number four, who is a forgiving parent. Five, he's an adopting parent. He can't wait to bring in more children to his family and make them heirs in his kingdom. Number six, he's a parent who cares utterly and completely. Number seven, he's one who gives time and never has a lack of it. And number eight, he's a parent who encourages. Don't you want to know this parent? Don't you want to be parented by this parent? He really is the ultimate parent. And that's why I think the remaining of my time, I want to, before we look at what it means to pass something on, to leave a legacy, we can only do that. I believe we can only leave a legacy that will really last in the best possible sense when we understand who we've been parented by. So whether you're a parent or not this morning, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, I want to point you towards the one and only perfect ultimate parent. If you're a Christian, take time this week to go through those verses and remind yourself and let it soak through you. If you're not a Christian, maybe you might have imagined God as being frowning at best. He's not. At his very core, he's the ultimate and perfect parent and he invites you into his family. It's what, he always, it's what he's always been about. So with that in mind, what do we, parents and not yet parents or never to be parents, what do we get to pass on? What kind of legacy do we get to leave and how do we get to do that? So if you are a parent, over the next two weeks, you're going to get some, I think, really practical, good, hands-on teaching, as it were. I've got two great couples coming in, a couple called Nick and Amber Chandler, who are part of the leadership team at Kingsgate, who are great friends of ours in Kingston. And they've got younger children. And the following week, a couple called David and Amanda Featherstone, who also lead us every day, Wimbledon, another great uh, friends of ours, another, another church. They've got older children. They're going to, I think, teach us and serve us really, really well. But actually, for the moment, just for these last few minutes, I want to speak a bit more to those of us who aren't parents, or perhaps whose children have grown up. Now, if you are a parent, please don't switch off, because I think what we can try and do here is realise that the church is a beautiful thing, when whether we're a parent or not, we look to demonstrate something of the parenting heart of God to the children around us. So parents, don't switch off, just as non-parents, don't switch off next week, because we can all tag team and partner in this together. I mentioned my brother earlier on and when he had his uh, first baby. It was the uh, 10th of November 2006. I will never forget it, I don't think. It's quite a big thing when your sibling has a baby for the first time. And I'll never forget knocking on his door 
And there he was, opening the door with this tiny little thing, a little boy called Joshua on his shoulder. And it's, it does kind of, am I the only person when your sibling has a child? It's like, wow, this is, it's just different. It's incredibly significant. I think for those of us that haven't had children, it's probably the closest that you can currently get to experiencing maybe what it's like when your sibling has a little baby, especially a younger one. I have to admit, there were slightly mixed feelings, along with the joy and the delight. There were slightly mixed feelings. So I was like, hang on a minute. My younger brother has clearly torn up the unwritten rule book. <laughs> the unwritten rule book that we all know. You do not get married and have children before your older brother. <laughs> he tore that rule book up spectacularly. He has been tearing it up ever since. But I did at the evening, I think I can remember at the time, I think vaguely, realising a mix the, amongst the mixed feelings, there was an opportunity, an opportunity for me to play a part in that little boy's life, who's now nine. Not to parent him as such, because that's his parents' responsibility, but more, I guess, to, to demonstrate something of the nature and the heart and the core of the image of God to him, who is at his core a parent. Because Because I've been, by grace, brought into the family of God, I'm a beloved child of the perfect parent. And I was made in that perfect parent's image in order to reflect his image. That's what Genesis tells me, that I was made in the image of God in order to reflect that image. So the best uh, analogy I can think of to describe what that means is like a mirror. And if you have a mirror at... Um, kind of 90 degrees to the floor like this it just reflects back what it's looking at but God designed this originally to be mirrors that were like at 45 degrees so that the vertical comes down and bounces off horizontally God designed us to be a 45 degree mirror so his image comes down and bounces off to those around us I think what sin has done is it's made the mirror go from 45 degrees to 90 degrees And we're concerned with reflecting our own image to those around us. God intended us to be like a 45 degree mirror. And I realized there was an opportunity for me to love little Joshua in a way that would show him something of what God is like. Something of what God is like. An opportunity perhaps to put a legacy in place. Maybe even just a small one. To leave something of God behind in his life. Something of God behind in his life that would do him good. Maybe others good. They might even point him and maybe who knows. Even others towards the nature and the image and the character of God. And since then my brother has gone on to have three more children. And I've been fortunate enough to acquire five godchildren, and my sister is expecting her first baby. So I've got 10 of the 11 aside football team that I've been planning <laughs> for so long. We're almost there. We're going to play an attacking 4 3 3 formation. It's going to be amazing. Just need one more, which the way my brother's going is not unlikely. So earlier we looked, didn't we, at these, I looked very quickly at five initial attributes of God's perfect parenting and I looked more slowly at three more. And it's those last three, care, time and encouragement, that I want to look at. And I think they're particularly pertinent to those of us who haven't got kids as a means still of demonstrating the image and the character of God. So we said care, time and encouragement. Three means of demonstrating the parenting heart of God through the wider life of the church and the wider life of the community. So care. What does it mean if you're not a parent to demonstrate God's caring heart to children around us? Loads and loads of ways. What does it mean to be like God when he taught Ephraim to walk? So maybe, I don't know, maybe you're a student. 
Maybe you're a student and you'd be able to offer tutoring to a teenager or a younger child, something of the kind of teaching Ephraim to walk type image of God. I know for lots of parents, when you're... Um, when you've had a child in your life group, our midweek groups have brought around meals. It's always an amazing thing. And it's always an amazing thing to those of our friends or family who don't yet follow Christ. They see that and they're always amazed by it. You can see some of you nodding because you've had that experience. So one of the things we demonstrate that kind of care for the sake of children and parents. What about to be a life group who can spot not just that a child is seven days old, but that a child is seven weeks, months, seven years old and the parents could still do with some rest and refreshment. So you offer the care of a meal. We can all do that. Maybe more kind of broadly, I mentioned the whole adoption fostering thing before. Rightly or wrongly, the British government is going to uh, allow, you probably see what I think of this, the British government is going to allow very generously 20,000 of the however many million Syrian children refugees into this nation who all need fostering. You might say, I could, I could never do that. Well, someone's going to do that. <laughs> someone's going to foster, hopefully, those 20,000 children who are currently without a purpose and a future and to a, to a degree a meaning. We've got contacts with Home for Good who are a wonderful charity. They're helping churches to engage in the process of adopting and fostering. If you're single, it's, it's not straightforward, but it's not impossible to engage at least in fostering to a degree. There's all kinds of ways that we can demonstrate the caring parenting heart of God to children around us. In my, in my, in my case, I told you this story at the very beginning about the, just the opportunity to go to Kingston Community School. Like, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not saying I'm the busiest guy in the world, we're all busy, but I feel pretty busy at the moment. But I made a priority of doing that. So I thought, well, the one thing I can do is to give a little bit of time. And I just told a little story about Nativity or about Easter and made dodgy jokes about pasta and pesto. But I made a priority of it because I wanted to give some time. I wanted to give some time. And that's the second point, time. How can you give time as well as care? Maybe you can offer to babysit perhaps for parents that you know in and out of the church. I used to try and offer to do that quite a lot. I think it's probably more straightforward maybe for couples and so on, but I don't know many parents who wouldn't appreciate the offer of uh, an evening out together and their children being uh, lovingly babysitted, assuming there's good you know, relationships and trust in place and so on. Or just time to ask somebody who's got back from university, how are you doing? Just giving teenagers or young adults time. How are you doing? How'd it go? What's it like to, to be at university? What's it like to, to be at school at the moment? You all remember, can't we, being teenagers? We might not show it, but we really love it when adults show us some time, show an interest, a question. It's just time. Busy people. We're busy people in Kingston. We're, busy, we're flying around. I'm a busy person. Often I can fit into busyness during church life. But there's always an opportunity to give time to children and teenagers. Asking the, t- asking the kids team this morning and the, and the little, little Sparks team this morning and the Ignite team this morning, how'd it go? How was your morning? You're not offering to do anything dramatic. You're not joining the team that you'd be welcome to. Just giving time to ask loving questions. How was it? How are the children doing? Time. You might detect that there are parents who maybe are struggling sometimes with their kids. Because that's how it happens, isn't it, parents? That's, that's the real stuff of life. It's not straightforward. Kids provide all kinds of challenges, occasionally even heartache. It's okay if you're not a parent to ask a parent, so how's it going? Can I give some time by praying? Any of you parents not like to be asked by people, what can I pray for your kids for? I don't know many parents who wouldn't appreciate that. I've got some time. Can I pray for your kids? What can I pray for? What can I pray for you for? I haven't been a parent, but I have observed there's nothing worse than feeling a bit helpless as a parent. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're not matching up. 
And we live in a borough where kind of ultimate parenting, I guess, is all around us in some ways, or at least certain views of it. And to give time and say, what can I pray for? How can I help? And to that end, I guess the third point linked nicely is encouragement, isn't it? Care, time, and God is also the ultimate parent because he encourages. I used to think that my encouragement of parents was not really worth anything because I wasn't a parent. That didn't like make me feel really sad and heavy-hearted. I just thought, well, it doesn't really count, does it, if I say a kind of well done, because I don't don't understand. But I've learned that I think it does count. I think it does help to encourage and say, I think you're doing a really good job. Just little things like that. I've I've learned have really helped. I sent a Mother's Day card to a a mum that wasn't my mum this year. I never would have dreamt of doing that until I realised that a bit of encouragement can really serve parents well. You're doing a great job. I love spending time with your kids. Well done. I'm really just impressed by how respectful they are. Or, actually, I'm really impressed by the way that you're just loving them, even though they're hard and difficult. I'm amazed by that. Well done. Just encouragement. Take time to compliment parents on their children. It's also struck me that parents generally think their children are pretty amazing. And if you acknowledge that to be the case, that's encouraging. And they are generally pretty amazing. And parents should think they're pretty amazing. Why? Because the ultimate perfect parent himself thinks that all his children are utterly amazing because they're hidden in Christ and that's how he sees them. So what opportunity is there for you, especially if you're not yet a parent or you won't be a parent or your kids have grown up, what opportunity is there for you this week, this month, to demonstrate the perfecting, perfect parenting heart of God within the church community, within the wider community. And it might well be, I would suggest, through care, through time and through encouragement. Just to close, obviously, I say obviously, but it's worth saying, none of the reasons why we do this should try should be to be better people. We don't do these things to be better people, do we? I hope I've laid foundations that have said, however you parent, whether it's literally being a parent or offering to support as a non-parent, it all comes from knowing we have been perfectly parented, we are being perfectly parented, we have one who loves us unconditionally, who will discipline us perfectly, who has rescued us wonderfully, who loves to give us more time than we could ever dream of, who provides for us. Only engage in these things as you freshly engage in the joy of being perfectly parented. I don't know if I get to be a parent or not. But I do know that if I do, it has to, surely has to come from a knowledge and an understanding and a daily encounter with a perfect parent himself. So how are you going to respond this morning? We're going to have prayer to you in the moment and worship and stuff at the moment in a in second. You might have some practical things that you want to do this week or encourage your spouse or your life group or your friends in. You might want to get some prayer this morning if you feel that your own relationship with either your parents or your children could do with the, 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 the blessing of the ultimate parent himself. Why not come and get prayer? People love to pray with you that the ultimate parent himself might, might bring healing where there's been damage, baby, or might bring power where there needs to be power in your own parenting. You might think, I've only ever really known God as a powerful, just, mighty judge. I haven't really known him as the Abba Father who leads me by the hand in steps of faith. This might be the morning for you where you want to say, I want to be a child of God. I want to accept that Jesus died and rose on my behalf that I might be adopted into his family and be a child of God. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you, talk it through with you, ask questions with you. So, 
Let's stand, shall we? Ben, can you come and join me? Prayer team, could you come and join me now, please? That would be great. Down to my left. I know Elaine, you're already part of that team. Elaine, we'd love to pray with you for any reasons, but also if you want to respond to the words she brought about uh, bringing healing for sickness, not least if you have a stomachache, come and get prayer from her. Get prayer from any of these guys. We're going to ask Paul to join the team as well. We're going to ask Andrew and Rachel to join the team because it's just great to have people who can uh, pray and there's good numbers down in front of us. And if you would love to pray for people, do come and join in as well. We can pray for each other. So come and respond if you want to receive the fatherly parenting heart of God afresh. Come respond if you want to be more like the ultimate parent himself. Come respond for any reason at all if you want to meet with our perfect heavenly parent. What are we going to sing? Nothing but the blood. Wonderful. Nothing but the blood. Lord Jesus, I want to pray. I want to uh, come to you in these moments and respond to you. We thank you that because of your shed blood, because you went through that Easter week, as it were, last week, because you went to the cross and came out the other side and beat death, we have life, life in the full, life in abundance, and life as children. God, is what you've always been about, adopting many, many more sons and daughters into your family. I pray for those that are parents that over these next three weeks they would know wonderful encouragements from the ultimate parents as to how to engage in parenting to leave a wonderful legacy behind in their children's lives. I pray for those of us that aren't parents who may not be parents. I pray that we would know that even afresh this morning the beautiful, perfect and ultimate parenting heart of God. And we would know the confidence of going forth to bear that very image to those around us. We pray for our children, God, that they would know the blessing and the joy of being loved and parented in all kinds of ways for their good and their flourishing. Pray for our community. Pray for the children and the schools in our community that we might be able to engage with them in some way to bring the perfect image of the parenting God to them in their context. And we worship you now, Jesus, knowing it's all possible because of you. You accomplished it. You achieved it. And you will sustain us in it. Amen. Amen.